Marco Royce. Daniel Marlon! Wonderful! Fantastic from Royce. Jude Bellingham. That's excellent. Jude Bellingham. This is absolutely brilliant. Jude Bellingham! Absolutely magnificent. Rina. Brilliant from the American. Just like that. Graceful. Sally Hoots down for Anthony Modest. Not a bad idea. Hey, welcome back to another week and another episode of the BVB podcast. My name's Jake, joined as always by Carver. How are you doing, Carver? Doing well, thank you. And uh, we, we've got a special guest. It, uh, it's been way too long since we've had him on. He, he joined us in the preseason to do uh, get ready for the season. We probably should have had him on a little sooner. I think this whole season's been a little crazy. I think Carver and I had aspirations to get a lot of guests on. And then when we realized like, how quick and fast... The games are coming. We kind of were just like, oh, let's. Just, uh, we didn't really have time for it. But very happy to have Brian back with us, who is a contributing writer for BVB Buzz. Brian, I'm bummed. I missed you in New York, but I'm glad that we're hanging out now. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's good to be talking Dortmund with you guys. And uh, no worries. I'm sure you'll end up in New York at some other time. But I'm very glad that uh, the Brooklyn Bruce and uh, fan club took uh, good care of you. So I'm glad you enjoyed banter. Yeah, it was a great time. Um, and unfortunately, not as great uh, final game of the first half of the season against Borussia Mönchengladbach, which we, of course, are going to maybe we won't spend too much time on that because I don't know if anyone really wants to hear us. Just be sad again. I mean, maybe they're used to it by now, but we are gonna we'll recap that game a little bit. Uh, we'll kind of go through the season so far and, and Brian's takes on the seasons. We got like Brian's takes before the season started, so it'll be interesting to see uh, <laughs> maybe how things have. Maybe I don't know if he's gotten sad in the the meantime, but we'll we'll run through that. We're all sad, so it's all right. <laughs> so we'll run through that. Uh, we are gonna get ready for World Cup and preview some USMNT stuff. Uh, we've got some Twitter questions. Um, we have something coming up. In Carver and I are in St. Louis, and there's something really exciting going on this week, uh, which is Bundesliga related. So we not really Dortmund related, but except the fact that we have Berkey. Um, but it is Bundesliga related, so we're going to talk about that. And then um, as we are in this kind of halfway point of the season, we've got a mid-season survey uh, that we want your feedback on, which we will get into all that later. But let's start with Gladbach. You guys ready to be sad again? I, I never stopped being sad. So <laughs> Yeah, I told Jake right before we started recording that watching the highlights genuinely triggered me. It was hard. It was hard. All right, and uh, we'll just jump right in uh, before we like really dive into the game. I'll, I'll just start with the lineup. Um, of course, we were away at Gladbach, um, and we saw Chan come in for Oz Chan. Reyna got the start over Adeyemi. Malin was still in the lineup. I was a little surprised about, uh, but the full lineup read Koble in goal, Guerrero, left back, Schlotterbeck, Hummels in the middle, Stule out at right back again. Uh, like I mentioned, Chan and Bellingham in the middle with Mullen, Brandt, and Reyna, and then Makoko got the start up top. Uh, Brian, we'll start with you. Just like initial thoughts, seeing the lineup and, and going into this game. I don't know why I had some weird sense of confidence, not from seeing the lineup, but I was just like feeling good. I just didn't think we would end on a bad note, but I mean, seeing the lineup or going into the game, Brian, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, contrary to, you know, what we saw, particularly from the defense, you look at those names in there and you think that's, looking pretty solid that that should be a pretty solid back line and there shouldn't be as much worries 
as uh, as Gladbach actually ended up causing us. Uh, particularly because, I mean, granted, they haven't been perfect defensively, but they've been a lot more solid than se- this season than they have in, in previous seasons up until at least this game. Um, so, I mean, initially fr- from there, I thought, okay, that looks decent. Having Chen in the midfield is obviously always uh, a little bit um, of of an anxiety-inducing experience just because you can always uh, maybe not expect him to do something, but you can always you can always – well, I guess maybe that, that is what I'm trying to say. Yes, you can always expect him to do something uh, that may put off the team's performance. And then, of course, um, when you're looking at uh, the front line, I mean, we mentioned that, or you mentioned rather, that you were surprised to see Mullen in the lineup. But at the end of the day, we came into the season without any real wingers. So it's like, who are we actually putting up there in those wide positions um, to, uh, to fill those roles uh, if we're not putting him in? Uh, Adiemi himself hasn't been in great form either uh, as of recent. So um, you're kind of not really spoiled for choice. there. then of course there's still the injuries that you're dealing with. So it's, it's all in all, you're putting together a team of with what you have. And I guess that was the best lineup that um, you could have had from, from, from what we're dealing with right now. Yeah. I think I'm just a little more biased towards Adiemi. I'm a, a little bigger fan uh, of him than Malin. And so I think seeing Reina come in and just, I know Adiyemi and Malin both have not been great, but I would almost rather put him in there, put Malin, let Malin start on the bench. Uh, that's just where I am at. Back. But Carver, to you on the lineup and thoughts before the game, what are you th- thinking? I'm going to have a little bit differing opinion from both of you and say I probably would have started Hazard. It's been one of the very few games I would have maybe fancied him to be on the pitch to begin with just because he's going against his old side and his first return to Gladbach as a Dortmund player. He scored a very, very good goal. So I thought he could maybe spark something up here, given the chance to start. Obviously, he's an actual wide player. He's one of the, he's probably, I think, actually, now I'm thinking about the only one that's available at the moment that is a winger and can whip in some crosses and maybe cause a little bit more um, harm to their back line. I know with Scally and their lineup, you know, he tends to push up really high. So I, I would have been personally playing uh, Hazard at the moment because, yeah, Malin and at a yummy, it's like they're competing to see which one can be more disappointing every week, you know? That's actually a fair shout. The The issue with Hazard is, like, we need we needed him for a depth, left-back depth, unfortunately. That's where he's at right now. Yeah. <laughs> but starting this game, I, I mean, for the first few minutes, I thought we started well. We, like, created a, a chance pretty early on in the, in the second minute. Reyna had that header from a great Brant uh, cross. Mokoko had another long shot try, like trying to go for a worldie right off the bat. But hey, he scored before like that, so I don't have any fault there. And then uh, after uh, some quick attacks in the first few minutes, uh, we obviously saw Munch and Gladback on their first. It was basically like the first time they crossed our half with the ball. First chance, first goal, easily pulled apart. And unfortunately, that's just kind of how, how the game went after that. We did get a goal. Two goals back, uh, but I mean, just thoughts on the the goal and the defensive collapsing. Like, do you think it was a defensive thing? Do you think it was Gladback being great or us being terrible? I'm going with terrible, but Brian, I'll start with you. I, I think I'll have to agree with that because it was far too easy. Uh, at least my uh, reaction to watching it, it seemed as if the Gladbach players were literally walking through our defense. It didn't seem like... Uh, Anyone was really up to speed with their tempo of play. Uh, everyone seemed one step behind everything. Um, I mean, even looking um, 
specifically at, at that first goal. I mean, you have Sule and Schlotterbeck, I believe, trying to to close down. Um, uh, I believe it was who was it that scored exactly again that first goal. If you guys don't mind reminding Hoffman. me, Hoffman, Jonas Hoffman, exactly. So seeing him come in like that and uh, having two defenders basically almost getting him in a pincer type situation and still not being able to close him down is is a little disappointing i mean same thing with with the the turam goals uh those you know um hummels being uh you know relatively slow to react to those schlotterbeck slipping for what i believe was uh the third goal as well and then not you know, doing enough to to catch up to the attackers in that play as well. I just think everyone was kind of off it in the game. Yeah, Brian really said it in the, even the first sentence. I feel like this entire game could be wrapped up with just a simple statement of far too easy. I mean, I was I told Jake right before we started recording too that I was just screaming at my TV pretty much all ninety minutes. Like, why is it this that easy for Gladback to do this to us? I mean, it was really just a half-assed challenge from Chan. Uh, right before their half, and they pass it off to Stindl, who picked up the ball literally at the halfway line and just casually strolled all the way to the top of our box. Reyna and Malin just jogging aside him, not really trying to pick him up, put any sort of pressure, throw him off. And then Hummel steps up, which, of course, you have to step up, but Hoffman made that good diagonal run that you already mentioned, Brian, and no one's picking him up yet again. So it's just an easy goal for Gladbeck to score in those first opening minutes. I mean, just way too easy. That's, that's schoolboy stuff. Um, and then we're not gonna. I'm not gonna break down like every little thing because that's when that's. It's just sad. Like we're already sad, and it's sad to do. Like here's every time we collapsed and we fell apart, and it was just horrendous to watch. Um, but I mean, I think it was like around the 15th minute. Like we did need Koble to make another big save. Uh, which just alluded to what was gonna happen the rest of the game. Despite I thought we had a pretty good reaction after the first goal. Um. And like we were continuing getting good positions. We weren't like extremely dangerous, but it looked like I felt filled me with confidence a little more like, okay, we're getting back into this. We're going to do this. But then they just kept on like strolling through the the midfield and the defense. Like anytime they went down the field, it seemed like they're going to score or have a really good chance. Uh, there was a bit of redemption in the 19th minute with a uh, amazing cross or ball in from Brant, not, not Brant, sorry, uh, from Bellingham with the just Brant just being beautiful with that touch and that turn and the volley shot. Um, I think cause the goal was so amazing. I was like, I put in my notes. It was like, we're winning this game. <laughs> and, and sadly it didn't, that did not play out, but I was filled with so much confidence with that goal. Um, I mean, was there anything, if you guys could talk about the goal, if you want, uh, Brian, any positives from this game though, before we might break down the defensive lapses a little more and in, like individual performances, but any, any positive takes from this game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned one, uh, Julian Brandt, honestly, for the last, I would say, month and a half has been really one of Dortmund's more consistent players. And of course, people will continue to talk about the fact that um, most of his time at Dortmund has been less productive than we would have liked. But he really has uh, become one of Dortmund's more consistent players. And that finish was was amazing to be able to take down the ball like that back to goal that's that's like a lot of strikers can't do that so to have uh your midfielder come out and do that um is really nice and uh, it really showed that he does do better in the center of the park as opposed to you know out wide which is how he's been played previously of course that being because of injuries or previous uh coach preference um but he's definitely one of the positives there um uh, obviously Bellingham putting in that ball as well. I mean, 
he didn't have a fantastic game, but of course he did still have those moments of brilliance that, you know, we do love him for. Um, but it, after that, it's, it's kind of hard, isn't it? To, <laughs> to, to think of anything else really. That was an exquisite pass from Jude Bellingham. I mean, that was a world-class assist and also a brilliant finish mm-hmm. from Brandt as well. I mean, the ball didn't even bounce. It, it was it was still within one motion as he was turning to be able to finish that with his left foot too, if I'm not wrong. I mean, it was a class finish from Brandt. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult to think of many other positives from that game, like you were saying, Brian. I mean, uh, they had so much space to run into even before we equalized there. It just there was pretty much zero defensive structure whatsoever. And, and and it didn't help much either that there was a lot of really poor individual performances on top of that. I mean, Hummel's going from I mean he still is, arguably, but I mean going from one of the best performances of career, just his career just a few weeks back, to a disaster class this time around is it was really, really shocking just watching all around. I mean, Schlotterbeck was struggling and slipping. I mean, actually a lot of the players around on both teams were slipping this game, but um just yeah it was it was was schoolboy stuff man and i think another i guess one positive is uh outside of the assist is you know we had some decent chances here and there i think the xg was still three for us and then 2.1 for gladback but again that just shows you that they're still more clinical than us they want the game more than us and you know you're going to get steamrolled if you're not entering this game with the right mentality and that killer instinct they're um they're playing their, that young third-string keeper who I think just made his Bundesliga debut like last week. I think he's 20. Um, and he had eight saves. And I don't know, I like I felt throughout the game, obviously we didn't have a ton of... I mean, we created some chances. We had 10 shots on goal. He had eight saves. Do you... I, I don't... I, don't, I want to say he had a good game and that was part of it. But obviously we could have taken better shots. I was just going to ask your guys' thoughts on like... Was that him having a good game or us just not putting in like really good efforts? He was, I thought he was really, really good, but we also made him look way better than he already was. I mean, you, you give that keeper that confidence whenever you're given those shots that aren't great right off the bat and giving him the ability to get some saves and get a feel for the ball. I mean, he was like dictating the Gladbach's de- uh, defense, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes into the first half even. So it shows how, you know, we let him grow into the game on this, in this one and, that's again not how champions act. Yeah, absolutely. I'd have to agree with uh, Carver there. I think it's a little bit of both, um, particularly because I mean you do have players uh, in in the Dortmund squad right now that can't buy a goal for 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 anything. You know, I mean that case in point being Daniel Malin. I mean, mm. it's it's really frustrating yeah. because he he doesn't he does show a lot of good things in the game, be it with his positioning, his, his ability to take on defenders. He gets himself in a very good position very often. And then at the end, the final product is usually very underwhelming. So, I mean, if a keeper, especially in their debut is coming up against a player like that, I mean, yes, they're, they're going to look great because, you know, they're just not putting it past them at, at that point in time. And then, of course, Dortmund is, in general has had struggles putting uh, putting the ball in the back of the net. So, I mean, it was kind of the perfect scenario for for this keeper to make a debut and, and have as good of a performance as, as he did. Yeah, there was that moment in his like 34th minute where we, it definitely should have been a goal. Like, Makoko had that header like two feet out, um, which was a good... I mean, it was he headed it right at the keeper, but it was also a good reactionary save from him. It was so close. Um, and he was good to get his hand out on it. And then it, the ball fell to Reyna, 
who I think there was a deflection in there, but basically missed like a, a layup of a shot. Um, but like making, like you said, the confidence for that kid to make that save initially and to uh, whether it's a defender who, who blocked that next shot, like of course that's going to build up his confidence too, especially when they they started the the game with the goal. Like they, they went up really early. He's already feeling confident. Uh, we pulled it back, um, but for him to keep, I think in that moment and to keep, keep it even at that time, obviously it's going to shoot up his confidence, which led to him probably being able to save more shots throughout the game. Um, do you guys want to jump into, I, I, I wanted to ask just your thoughts on Hummels and Schlotterbeck. Do you think like Hummels specifically, I know there's a lot of, I think disappointment with not making Germany. Do you think that played into this game at all? Or do you think the laps, do you think the lapses in this game were more of, what we've seen from Dortmund before, do you think them just being like tired and fed up and ready for the, the season, this part of the season to end any like frustration from Hummels that played into this? Like, what are your thoughts on Hummels and maybe the, the collapse in this game specifically? I mean, there's, there was definitely an element of the fact that he was disappointed. Um, it, with the fact that he wasn't going to the World Cup, I'm, I'm sure that was part of it. I mean, you could kind of see it in his body language, a lot of shrugs. Um, it, his movement wasn't there. Usually that, that anticipation that he's very much known for just wasn't there. He just didn't seem fully focused on on what was happening around him on the pitch. Um, but then again, I mean, even with, with that sort of scenario, you wouldn't expect for that sort of um, decision by Hansi Flick to really have that much of an impact on a professional of Hummel's character. I mean, yes, he's human. Obviously, things are going to affect him emotionally. But then you also have performances like, and, and I don't know if you, if you guys saw this performance um, uh, in the Premier League uh, for with uh, Ivan Tony and Brentford beating Manchester City. I mean, he scored, yeah, I believe yeah. it was both goals yeah, for yeah. them. And he had just been left out of the England squad. And it was almost kind of like, um, a, a message that was being sent like, okay, you're not taking me, but I'm still going to continue performing. So that's what I would more so expect from a player like Hummels to have a reaction to show, okay, well, this is what you're missing. Instead, he kind of underlined why perhaps he wasn't going in the first place. As as it comes to uh, Schlotterbeck, I mean, he's been, he started out really great uh, in the squad. And I do feel that over the course of the season, he's had his ups and downs. Um, I wouldn't consider this a damning performance for him by, by, by any means. I mean, once again, players have their ups and downs when it comes to their form. Um, but it, it wasn't what we needed at the time. And I do feel that a lot of the focus and, and not even just in the defense in the team wasn't uh, as strong as it should have been with regards to this result, particularly uh, with how important it was. It was the final game before a really long break and we had just lost to Wolfsburg 2-0. So it, it was a really important game, and I think a lot more focus could have been put into this game. Yeah, it's kind of been the story of the season almost of Terzic not putting enough focus into the opponent that he's got in front of him. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if, you know, Hummels was, obviously he's had the best season in the last few years, arguably, um, this season. And, and maybe he was trying to, you know, showcase himself to be a player in that Germany squad. And then obviously he just was pretty disappointed with not being picked, but yeah, like you said, Brian, it shouldn't be affecting him so much for him to him, you know, have such a performance like this that's so low um, with Schlotterbeck as well. And, and maybe it just really wasn't either of their night. And it's just one of those uh, games where it's just not going your way no matter what. And 
you, know, you could look at the average position in our squad, and I think they were originally looking to target that left-hand side, like I mentioned last week. You know, they were probably watching the game uh, of us versus Wolfsburg, and and you know, Wolfsburg was just going hammering on Guerrero on that left-hand side for for a majority of the game, and Gladbeck was still doing that. But I think when they also realized that uh, both the partnership of Hummels and Schlotterbeck were extremely vulnerable that night, they were going to uh, punish you in the middle as well. And, and that's exactly what they did. Again, if you go back to look at the average position, Gladbach played, for the most part, very narrow. And I think they just, yeah, they realized that they could continuously uh, get rewarded if they keep playing towards that middle side. Yeah, and I think part of this too, um, I mean, I didn't analyze this thoroughly, but I think uh, part, of, part of it is, is maybe Chan being in there and not being as... Um, like set as Oshan, what we've seen from Oshan, and I don't know if if that's where the difference is because, like you mentioned, Brian earlier, that like early on in the season, Schlotterback looked good, and just defensively, we looked a lot better. We were grinding out those like one zero results. Carve and I were saying a lot like, oh, we're just grinding out these wins. We want to see more goals. Um, but at least we're we look like stable in the back. We were able to. The, the exception of the Werder Bremen game that Carver got to witness in, in person. I'm sorry, I was bringing that up. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> well, that, that was the a big, that was the collapse. But even after that, we saw some good defensive performances and it's just fallen apart lately. And I, I don't know if, I, I remember seeing like Oz Chan very early on. Um, I know it took him a little bit to like really start and, and get, play, play a lot of minutes. Uh, but he's been great with the exception maybe the last few weeks, like he hasn't been on top of it as much. And so maybe that's where the defensive lapse has been because he's not there as that to just sit in front of the uh, the two center backs. And maybe that was uh, going on in this game specifically. Did I mean, any thoughts on Oshan, you know, Oshan missing in this game or him lately or going down that middle? Like, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, so, I mean, he, he's definitely also been a player that, you know, once again, started off well, like you mentioned, and then, of course, has had a little bit of uh, a, a wobble here and there. I was still shocked uh, to see him on the bench and have uh, Chan starting this game. I didn't really see the utility of of having Chan in this game in particular. I, I definitely feel like Oschan would have been the, the better uh, player to screen the back line and to sweep up those those balls that would be sent in. Uh, to trouble the the likes of Hummels and, and Schlotterbeck. So it was a little strange to see him in there, especially like like we had mentioned, you know, considering how important this game was. Um, but yeah, once again, I mean, at a club like Dortmund, even if you're putting in a player like Chan, you expect a player like Chan to have a better performance. And he's once again been a, been a player that's uh, underperformed not only this season, but in previous seasons as well. He's had good moments, but then he's had a lot of bonehead moments as well. And, uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's just overall disappointing that he couldn't come in as well and, and, and do a job. But yeah, I, to my, in my opinion, it should have been Oshan on the field. I mean, Chan said in interviews last year that he is a number six and that's where he wants to play whenever we were playing him out of position in the back three. And tell you what, he's been having plenty of opportunities playing in that number six role and he's doing absolutely dick with it at the moment. I mean, Jake and I thought his strongest moments last season was in that back three or, or even in the back line in general, whenever he had literally two clean sheets in a row on the road of, what was it, Paslak, Schultz, and Pankracic with Chan in that back four. And he was still able to organize that defense and get a clean sheet uh, on the road at Mainz. But every, it seems like every time he's in the, in the number six, I mean, he's out of position. Like you said, the boneheaded fouls. I mean, 
I think there's been four or five games this season, and 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 I guarantee I, I should have back, I looked it up to back me up, but I guarantee it's a fact that handful of games this season he's came on, and within 60 seconds he has a yellow card, and that is not an exaggeration. I mean, this team genuinely definitely needs a number six on top of Oshjan because we really are having a tough time controlling the midfield in a lot of these games. I mean, we lost possession in this game against Gladbach 123 times. And of course, Chan wasn't, you know, the reason for that uh, are all 123, but he's certainly not helping in the aspects that we need of a true number six at the moment who isn't going to be a constant liability. Well, um, we don't need to harp on this game too much longer, uh, but I think it's kind of a good transition point from uh, into kind of the, the season overall and, and Brian's thoughts on that. I mean, because we jumped in second half. If, if you had any confidence at halftime, um, like I thought we might still be able to pull it back and make it somewhat exciting. And I just thought we were going to come out in the second half and be more stable in the back. And I, I thought Terzic would be able to hype them up and, and really like put on a good game. And then we saw it in the first like 30 seconds that they scored again. So, uh, definitely didn't go that way. And then after that, it was just, it didn't really get better. It was just sad <laughs> throughout. So the game ended four to two. Um, but w- with that transition, um, I know we were all pretty excited with, this season starting um, kind of felt like we were starting fresh with Terzic and we were hoping we we're going to have as much injuries. Um, and then obviously there's all the talk with um, the league opening up more with um, Lewandowski lo- moving out to Bayern. And uh, I mean, we did see the league, like the league is still pretty tight. And we saw Union Berlin take the top. Although I know Bay- Bayern's like four points clear at this point, I think the last I checked, um, which I didn't check today. Yeah. They're um, slowly starting to pull away. But Brian, I guess at this point in the, uh, the season, where, how are you feeling about Dortmund? Uh, what, what have you seen, like, I guess, transition-wise? We did mention the started a little defensively, like, stronger defensively, that, and that's kind of fading right now. Like, what are your, what are your current thoughts with, with Dortmund and, like, your take on this half of the season? I mean, Dortmund are definitely not where they should be in terms of uh, the table. Um, the performances are definitely subpar. Um, and that comes down a lot to, um, as you guys mentioned earlier, individual performances, because I feel like that's something that, and especially going into, into last season and this season, Dortmund rode a, a lot of a wave, uh, in terms of individual performances. Um, I mean, this season for the most part, Jude Bellingham has been, uh, amazing, you know, organizing the midfield. I feel a lot of the play has gone through him. And having him have like one or two not as great games has obviously shown throughout, you know, there's no one else there um, aside from a 17 year old Yusufa Mukoko that has been trying to, to really step up uh, to that degree, especially in the attack. So um, overall, relatively disappointing. Obviously, a lot of work needs to be done over the course of the break. Um, players like Bo- uh, Ariemi and Malin, um, you know, both have to, you know, really improve and, and, and work on their finishing uh, and, and positioning to agree to a degree uh, over the course of um, you know uh, this, these coming months. I mean, granted they are playing in positions that aren't necessarily their natural position, but that is kind of their lot at this moment. And they kind of have to make the best of it. Um, I definitely believe there's still something to be salvaged from this season. It's, it's not the, the end of the world per se, particularly because Dortmund usually does do better in the second half of the season as, as, as we, as we've seen over the course of the last few seasons. So there's there, you know, they're still in the DFB Pokal. They're still in the champions league. Uh, they could still go relatively far with that. if They get their act together. And as you guys mentioned, you know, the league isn't 
completely gone yet. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, like we're totally still in this title race and uh, we still have a big chance of winning the league per se, but there's still a chance to be competitive and, uh, and, and make a good push. Um, Obviously the minimum would be um, achieving those champions league places. But of course, even with achieving that, it's still going to be disappointing considering the outlook we had for this coming season and, um, you know, all this uh, talk over the last few years of like, oh, yeah, we're coming from the for, for the title. We're doing this. We're doing that. And then chronically underachieving. So it's 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 not the end of the world, but it's it's also not where where the team should be by their own standards. Yeah, the league has been rough. We have six losses so far. And if you were to go back for over the past decade, I'd, Munich has won the league every single year with a maximum of five losses, and we're already at six. So I think we can probably kiss those chances of actually winning the league goodbye, unfortunately. And, you know, over the past week or two, you're starting to see a lot of people, you know, try to point fingers at, you know, what the problem is here. A lot of them at Vodka specifically, which is, you know, I don't think is really a great, um, option to look at for why you know we're having all the problems that we're having and it comes down to a lot of things and and the one the survey that i posted today for the mid-season review was asking at one point of what do you think the main problem or issue in this squad is at the moment and it was a few different options here that i gave and looking at the responses so far i mean i'm going to keep letting these build up over the next week or so so we can get more numbers but i mean it, it literally is split down the middle between the few that i i mentioned which is set pieces recruitment a tactically competent manager and uh injuries and really all of those you could look at are, are, are pretty huge concerns at the moment i mean injuries go back for way over a calendar year now of just one person slowly being implemented back into the team while another one comes crashing out so we're really just having a never-ending revolving door of um unavailable personnel which is just really depleting for a team because you can't really build any sort of momentum whenever you're constantly picking at the starting 11 every week with different players and trying to plug them in different holes and or different roles so it's just it's just not going to work and again we're, we're we're coming back to the recruitment side of things i mean we're really neglecting and ignoring the the glaring problems in defense when it comes to wingbacks uh of course we invested in schultz a few years ago but that has obviously not worked out and thankfully, he's never going to play for this club again for reasons that we already know. But I mean, outside of that, even before that, with his bad form, I mean, outside of that, the club knew that we needed to actually invest into another good wing back. And that just really hasn't happened yet. So we're playing a six five center half at right back to be really our best attacker and defender at the moment, it seems. So uh, it's, it's just too much relying on on a handful of individuals like Koble or Bellingham or Sule at the moment, too, to produce those defensive numbers and help us keep uh the ship from sinking at the moment but i mean it just seems like we have really zero direction of what we're doing at the moment and it's like brian mentioned already i mean it's not the end of the world because we still are in the champions league unlike last year we got knocked out early we're in a i mean i'm not saying chelsea's going to be easy by any means but when it comes to being drawn against anyone else in the champions league we got a pretty lucky draw and that's that is a winnable um, draw for a club like Chelsea or for a club like us to play against Chelsea, excuse me. And in the Pokal as well. I mean, we have Bochum. That's a team that we can beat. So we can come back and make a run in both of the tournaments and at least try to pick ourselves up and aim for top three in the table, which I think is all very achievable given that we have a two month break. People come, can come back and get 
to uh, full fitness again, and we can give her another go. Um, a couple players that we could be seeing. I mean, there's a lot of players we will be seeing at the end, pending there's no serious injuries in the World Cup, but um, a couple players that I think can make a a big difference, and I want your guys' thoughts, but of course, Dahoud. I almost like forget that these guys are part of Dortmund because they've been out forever, but Jamie Bino gittens and Dahoud. How do you see those? Obviously, there's other players like Royce and, and Wolf and Mounier has been out for a while too, but I think those two specific players can help in areas where we really need it. What do you see them coming back? Like, Do you see them coming back and being able to make a solid contribution in the second half of the season if they can stay healthy? I definitely feel like uh, Jamie Bino Gittens can definitely be uh, of use and, and make a make a pretty good impact. I mean, prior to his injury, he was doing relatively well for the club. Um, and he is a natural winger, which is something that, you know, we are ailing for. So it can definitely give uh, players like Adiemi and Malin a rest for one and the opportunity to possibly play uh, in a position more so related to what they're used to. Um, I, for one, would be really interested to see Malin and Mokoko up top together. I think that could be a really dynamic partnership, um, and uh, maybe we could see Malin's numbers increase from there. Because I don't believe we've seen much of that. I believe when Holland was injured last season, we may have seen that a couple times, but they didn't really have time to build up any sort of chemistry. But even with Malin's performances uh, you know, this season, He's definitely linked up relatively well with Mukoko, I'd say. I mean, he's, he's assisted him for one or two goals as well. So I do think that having them up top together could be an interesting option. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, with Dahoud, it's it's a little bit different because I don't believe that, uh, and especially coming right from injury, he's going to you know be better than the options that we already have. Um, I, I do. I, I I think I would prefer to see him in the midfield more than Chan but I still do think that Oshan is the best option. So, I mean, good for depth, but I do think of the two, Bino Gittens will definitely have a, a bigger impact coming back. Yeah, and if you go back under Terzik's first spell, uh, you could you could argue that Dahoud's career was really revived under Terzik in that six or so month spell going into the spring and, you know, Dahoud going away at Sevilla and putting on a show. Uh, and we went on to get a few wins after that as well. And yet, at the very least, it's going to bring depth and it's going to bring some more creativity in our midfield. I mean, now that whenever Oshan has a knock or something like that, we really have no one else to play in that six role. And even though Dahoud is not a natural six, he can sure as hell play as that single pivot at times, as he's shown under Terzik before. And I think he can bring a lot more than um, than what people might think. Uh, but yeah, at least I'm happy to have another player in the midfield because players out wide, wingers... And um, central midfielders is, is what I think this team is easily lacking the most at the moment. I think uh, j- just uh, going off that, picking back it, uh, off that real quick, uh, he could also give Bellingham a rest with the hood mm-hmm. back, honestly. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's also that. You can see that uh, Jude has been gassed completely. Like, it's it's insane how um, how tired he looks on the field at times. So. And especially with the, uh, I mean, all the games we've been playing, like, we needed that depth early on because... Uh, it might slow down a bit later in the the season. I mean, it could go either way. Uh, hopefully, we're still playing games back to back. But like we the the game was the the games and the schedule was so heavy. We we're playing every few days, and it, like you could just tell, like we don't have the the squad or the ability to rotate like we needed to in those games. To, and that's why you're seeing Bellingham drop off, and now Oschan, like Bellingham's like a kid and he can run forever. But like. 
he's not super, he's super human in some ways, but in maybe in that way, like it's going to wear on you eventually. And maybe that's what we're seeing too. It like this, the end of this half of the season, like we're just struggling and like our midfield is getting run through. Um, we're seeing like good moments and glimpses of Bellingham lately, but it's not like he's been having full games that have been great. So yeah, that rotation there. And I thought that too, is like the hood can be a rotation for Bellingham, even if it's like coming on in the 75th minute or 80th minute, like just getting that rest a little early. Um, I want to go back to Jamie Bino Gittins too. Cause I like very early on, we, we saw like such good things from him very early on. And if he didn't get injured, it'd be, it'd just be very interesting to see like how much more he would have developed in this time. Um, and so that, yeah, to have him back is is going to be really exciting too. And then this might transition into Twitter questions too, because you mentioned the Malin and Makoko up top. But that's also a position like the dual striker that Adeyemi can do too. And I'm, I know we've needed him on the wing, but I've thought maybe that's an option too to throw him up there because he did that a lot with Salzburg. Um, and his speed like allows him to get behind from that that central position, like just to run past defenders and and kind of. Maybe gives us the option to do what what Gladback was doing to us, um, but with his speed running down the middle, like it's a really good option. And, and he did do that at Salzburg, so it'd be interesting to see if we do like a, a dual striker um, scenario with, with either one or, or rotate that a lot. Which is what, like I said, is going to lead into Twitter questions because there are some as far as the uh, the striker situation and. People are talking about, I guess there's rumors about maybe assigning another striker in the January window, if anything. And that just seems like the worst idea ever. Because Carver mentioned a lot last week where other positions where we definitely need to fill in. And it's it seems like we can get away. And Makoko's just been playing so great. It's like we that is not the position we really need to be looking for. Um, but let me throw this Twitter question out here. There's a few in here, but it's from Andre Swan on Twitter. He said, rumors uh, coming out about adding another forward if, if Allaire isn't ready after the World Cup. Uh, what are your thoughts? Sorry, I was just going to say uh, one other positive, thankfully, is Adeyemi being called up to the World Cup. I mean, God forbid he does or he does pick up another injury. Let's hope he has a very safe trip to Qatar. But him being around the national team, you know, getting to jail with them a little bit more, obviously he gets more competitive matches in the next month and a half or so minimum. Um, I think that can really do a good amount for his confidence because uh, he's been obviously struggling at this kind of level at the moment, but now he's going to be at a new at a new site for a while. He's going to be with a new squad. Hopefully that can rejuvenate him a bit and bring a little bit more sting to our attack so we're not looking so toothless. But yeah, um, with with the um, adding of the attacker in the in the January window, I'm pretty skeptical of that at the moment. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that as well. I don't think it's a great idea. Um, I think, especially uh, with Mukoko's contract situation, and granted, we don't know when, if if and when he will sign uh, the extension. It looks like he will be signing an extension. Um, But either way, even if he does sign one and we do sign another attacker, meaning striker, I guess, um, that would send a really bad message to him. So I don't think that's a great idea. And like you guys have said, he's, he's been in good form. Um, and, uh, once again, I mean, uh, going back to what we had said earlier, playing Malin and Adiemi, uh, in more central positions might benefit them and may, uh, you know, benefit us in the long run as well in terms of, you know, them picking up some form as well. Um, I definitely feel like Adiemi, um, in his Salzburg days did really well in, in, um, in a, in a, in a front two. And uh, Malin is used to playing like that as well. So, I mean, you could definitely have a heavy rotation going there where you do have 
um, Malin and Mukoko or Adiemi and Mukoko up top. And then the other one, one or the other coming in for, for whoever is more tired in that specific game. Um, I think that could be a good way to, to really, um, implement them in the squad in the way that would help them flourish the most. Uh, in addition to that, I mean, um, instead, if we are going to go for an attacker, it should be a wide attacker. I think that will be, uh, if that's something that Dortmund were to do, then that would make sense. And then, of course, we're also looking at the whole Haller situation. What message would that send to Haller, you know? I think we do have enough strikers to keep us over until he is fully healthy again. So I don't think it's as pressing to to go out there and, and look for a replacement striker. Yeah, I took the words right out of my mouth at the very end there. I was going to say, I wonder how much truth or how much weight that all those rumors have been holding uh, that you mentioned about us going after another striker just simply because, I mean, we obviously don't know the all the details because everything is so private, which rightfully so, but it looks like in the last month or so, things are looking very positive for Haller's return, um, which is a fantastic surprise for all of us. So, you know, if, if those rumors... I guess I can't imagine them being true because if the, if it is true that he is going to maybe end chemo very soon, uh, he wouldn't be out for the next few years if we're going to be investing for another player like that. So I think the board should be treading lightly with how we want to treat our next two strikers that should be, you know, here for the long haul rather than addressing problems that they've been ignoring for several years now. Yeah, off that, I was going to say, aside from Allaire, it seems like we we need some help in other areas, uh, like our fullbacks, for instance, or, or in the middle. Like we, There's definitely other positions that we really need to be looking into besides up top, especially with all the... Uh, it seems like all the options we have to, to rotate and change things up up there. Uh, yeah, we definitely need. But but yet, Hazard is our, our go-to, like is our, our second left back. And then, obviously, Sule is playing right back right now, so... And he's he hasn't been bad, gotta say he's he's been pretty great. But that those are our options. Like we don't have any real options there. No, it's so. it's completely chaotic. Yeah. Um. So another question, which we kind of just answered, but uh, Andre also was asking about Malin uh, turning it around. Um. And, but after that, he said after the World Cup starting eleven, if everyone is fit, so ideal starting eleven. Say everyone comes back healthy, good to go. That's that's tough. Um, <laughs> that's, that's very tough. Carver, how about you go first with that one? Uh, this is a dream, but we're, I guess that implies that Haller is fit. I'm going to probably go with the back four. Oh, man. Um, Guerrero at left back. Schlatterbeck and Hummels. And then probably Sule at, for the time being until we can, uh, I guess, Wolf or Munier can fight for their spots on the right. Um and then Bellingham and Ozchan, Royce, Brent. I'd probably go Adeyemi and then Haller up top. I think a lot of that would line up with the 11 I would definitely go with, except I would want to see uh, the front two put in action. So either a... Uh, um, a great, this is obviously with Haller or not, depending on whether he's he's fit or not. We still don't know yet with regards to that. His situation is is more cloudy. Um, but if he's not there, then I would definitely want to see uh, Malin and uh, Mukoko up top or Adiemi and Mukoko uh, up top. And even honestly, even if um, Haller is good and ready to go, I'd still like to see how he would perform with a front two with Mukoko up there. I think that could be interesting as well. So 
yeah, I think yeah, what you're saying, maybe like a four three one two almost, and having more stability in the midfield. I think uh, you know the players probably had a good amount of that philosophy, even going back to Rosa, since he's a player that played so narrow. Um, and I I want to say that like Terzic is maybe someone who wants to play with more a little bit more width, but at the same time I, I I'm still struggling to see what Terzic is trying to implement to begin with. So if we want to maybe still try to stick down that road for the time being, given that we have these striker winger hybrids, yeah, we could go to, uh, two up top and then having like Royce in the hole right below them to help support and attack, and then you could have three holding midfielders and I mean Alshan Dahoud and Bellingham. Uh, that could certainly help our problems controlling the midfield a little bit more and bringing creativity. All right. This isn't a Twitter question. And also I'm just going to cop out of doing a starting lineup because you guys handled it. Well, um, <laughs> Brant say Royce is healthy um, from what we saw in Royce early on in the season or Brant in current form it say in that like kind of 10 position, who do you take? Well, it, it's tough, right? I mean, especially in 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 the lineup that that I'm envisioning with a front two it's unlikely that both of them would be on the pitch at the same time right so it would really depend um on how Brent uh, performs coming back from the World Cup I don't think Terzic would be throwing in Royce right away but if we're talking about like perfect world scenario both players at the t- at the peak of their powers I mean Royce 100% um, but realistically speaking, we just won't know, um, how much of a load he can carry, um, as soon as he's back from injury. I mean, granted, it's still going to be a couple months, but he wouldn't have seen like action for, for quite some time. So I don't know if he'd just be thrown in right there. So I'd say Brant to start, test out the waters. And then depending on form, I mean, if Royce is in peak form, then Royce. I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably go with Royce as well. And also just for the romance of it, I think he has three goals left until he becomes Dorman's all-time top scorer. He was at six a few months back, but he just hasn't bagged a lot this season. So um, would love to see him break that record. And it, he definitely can in these next six months. If if we, for some reason, don't extend with him, I feel like it should be no problem for him to get three more goals in the next six months. Yeah, hopefully. I forgot he was that close. So yeah, <laughs> he definitely needs to be hitting that. Cause I, I remember we hyped it up a lot last season and then... uh I mean, he's been injured lately, so we just haven't talked about it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll do one more question, which will kind of transition us like to a slight, slight next half of the season uh, preview. Which Carver and I, as we said, we have that mid-season survey. We'll give you a little more details on that later. So we're going to do another like halfway through the season episode. Maybe that's going to be our our one-year anniversary episode. I don't know when that's going to line up, but we'll be doing that yeah, in yeah. next week or two. Um, but so this other question from at fifty plus Donner. Uh, what do you all feel is a realistic finish for Dortmund based on the first half? Uh, what is too much to expect and what is too little? Realistic um, and bare minimum would be fourth. Um, too much to expect would be to win it. Um, but I do believe that at least fourth place should be um, should be possible. And that's sad to say because we had such high expectations, yeah. but yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with what I'm hoping for and at the same time I think is more than realistic is third. Um I don't I don't know if second sounds something that we can really try to go for at the moment, but yeah, I'm I'm all here for it if we want to. Uh but this team doesn't really look like it wants to compete at the moment. So hopefully they can get a good ass kicking the ones that don't go to the World Cup and get some motivation to get us back in the top 4 and land us in a nice third spot. 
while also making some good cup runs. I, again, I think Chelsea is doable. And obviously after uh, Bochum, we're even further in the Pokal. Cool. Um, all right. Well, we will, uh, like I said, we're going to talk more midseason and uh, break that down a little more with your guys' help with that uh, that survey. Um, so we'll talk about that. At the end, we'll kind of give you the deal. We'll have the link for the survey, but we'll just mention it now. We'll have the link for the survey. It's on our <laughs> socials. I don't know why I'm like waiting to say it. At the BVB pod on Twitter and Instagram. And then we'll link it in the description of this episode too. Like making it some kind of big reveal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but let's jump into some USMNT stuff. Um, we don't have to do like a real heavy preview and Carver and I mentioned that we ran through the lineup as we got it last week. So Carver, if you want to, maybe you've had a little more thoughts on, on that, if you want to jump into anything, but, um, Brian, I know you kind of have two horses in this, this world cup. Um, if you want to explain that a little bit for the people who, who maybe don't know you already, you might've read Brian's articles, but if you don't follow him on Twitter or Instagram, you you should, and we'll have that link too. But uh, Brian, you want to talk about your expectations for the World Cup, and was there any standouts from the the USMNT lineup or or anything in in general? Yeah, so uh, I mean, yes, like you said, I do have two horses in this race. Uh, growing up in the U.S., you know, I'll definitely be watching the U.S.'s games. Um, but I'll definitely also be supporting Poland because that's my heritage. That's where my my family's from. Um, unfortunately, both teams are um, teams that have a bunch of stars or players with star potential on them, uh, and they like to underperform. So this could either be uh, a really good tournament or a really depressing one. So to be determined, we'll see. Um, with regards to the the U.S. Uh, national team, though, um, I'm surprised to see as many attackers from MLS as, yeah. as they did yep. put in. Um, I do believe uh, that they're taking Jordan Morris, correct? Yes. And it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little surprising to see as many players from, from the MLS when there are players like Jordan Pifak, for example, who, um, you know, who, who are having such a good season, for example, him being as, as pivotal as he, as he has been for Union Berlin this season and seeing him not go or not be selected. I think that was a little surprising. Um, but I mean, otherwise I feel like a, a lot of the choices were, were pretty standard. I mean, Weston McKinney, um, Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic. I mean, all, all these are names that you would expect to see. So my main surprise came around, uh, you know, the, the choices made in attack. Yeah. And I'll run through the, the lineup. We mentioned it last week, but, uh, we always have new listeners. So thank you for listening. A quick shout, uh, but goalkeepers, uh, Matt Turner, uh, at number one, we have Ethan Horvath and Johnson, who is from uh, MLS Defenders. We have Dest, Zimmerman, Robinson, Anthony Robinson, that is, uh, Tim Ream, Aaron Long, uh, Shaq Moore, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, DeAndre Yedlin, and Joe Scally, who you saw in Gladback, tear us up over the weekend, or on Friday. Uh, midfielders, we have Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, Brendan Aronson, Luca De La Torre. Uh, rolled on from I don't remember which rolled on because there's two of them and they're both from Seattle. One of the rolled on brothers and uh, Kellen Acosta and forward up to top we have Gio Reyna, uh, F- Jesus Ferreira, Christian Pulisic, Jordan Morris, as you said from L- MLS, Haji Wright, uh, Tim Wea, and Josh Sargent is the U.S. squad. Yeah, after letting it marinate after a few days, I kind of understand the pick of Morris a little bit more simply because I'm imagining Greg wants attackers that can run behind defenses. And at the moment, the only player that can really do that is Wea. 
Um, so I imagine he's wanting a little bit more pace up front and someone who could make those runs in behind um, rather than going with just target man after target man and right, Pepe, Peefock, etc. Um, but I was still, I still haven't really thought or found out the reason why we went with Shaq more because we have like three other right backs in that pool of uh, players. So that one was is still a bit of a head scratcher for me. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see how this team performs. I mean, uh, Berhalter said that, you know, we don't have much of the talent compared to a lot of these other big teams around the world, but we do have brotherhood. And these players have been growing together consistently for the past however many years now. And we wanting to, we've been wanting to see them finally perform. Um, you know, we've won the Gold Cup. We've won the Nations League, uh, the men's national team over the past year. But anytime we step outside of that and have any competition like Japan in a friendly, we're going to get ripped apart. So um, I'm, I'm interested to see how this team can go to a tournament like the World Cup and compete against the best. Did he really say that? I've missed that. The brotherhood part? Yeah. Well, the, the, the other thing, the talent-wise, because I think that's something... Granted, it's not like the... Like, all of England is from the Premier League except Bellingham. So it's not talent like that, and I get that. But isn't one thing we're all holding on to is, like, the young talent we have and the fact that we have so many players, top players, playing in Europe? Like, that's something we're holding on to. So for him to just slight that, like, that makes me really mad, honestly. And the brotherhood thing, like, shut up, dude. God, get out of here. Ugh. This is definitely the most talented uh, U.S. side I think I've seen. Um, so in terms of just the names and the quality and where they play. So I do think there is a lot of potential there. Um, but obviously depending on whether or not Burhalter, uh, can harness that and whether the players show up, I mean, that'll really depend on, or that, that'll be what, um, you know, kind of defines their performance in this tournament, I think. Um, so on that, on their, uh, performance, so we are in group B, uh, first game is next Monday, or this coming Monday against Wales, one o'clock, uh, one o'clock Central Time. Sorry, two o'clock Eastern Time. All the games are at that time, two o'clock. Then we have England. Um, the oh, when is that? Oh, Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving, twenty fifth. Yeah, which is going to be yeah. exciting. Um, good, good, good holiday watch right there. Um, and then we in the group with Iran on the following Tuesday. Um, so expectations for for us in the group. Brian, you can give some Pol- Polish expectations too. I'm I'm cool with that. But USMNT expectations, do you see us getting out of the group? Um, I think this is definitely a group that the US can get out of. I mean, the the Wales team that they will be facing doesn't have uh, prime Gareth Bale uh, anymore. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of whether he got chosen for the team or not, but I would assume he did. Um, so I mean, it's it's not the same team that you know. Uh, excelled or achieved what they did previously in previous tournaments. So, I mean, I think they can definitely get away with a point or a win there with England. I mean, obviously that's going to be a bit more challenging. There's a bit more of a disparity there in terms of the talent on display. Um, but then again, it is England. So you never know. Um, I would say that is the most likely one, uh, to be a loss. And then of course, uh, the game against Iran, I do believe that, you know, uh, the U S should be able to, to get through that. And, uh, and yeah, and, and make a push at least into the next round. Wales doesn't have prime Gareth Bale, but Wales does have Welsh Gareth Bale, which he always performs really, really well for the country, weirdly enough. So, Fair point, fair point. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the game against Wales is a complete toss-up. I mean, they really, they have a lot of good players in their squad, and I can imagine us, you know, going out and really proving a lot of critics wrong, including myself, and getting a result, and I can also imagine us crashing and burning out of this World Cup. So, 
I think the tone is going to be set against Wales because, I mean, England, we're going to be obviously the big underdogs there. But given how England usually perform at international stages, maybe we could pick something, but probably not. Um, And then it's going to come down to against Iran, which I can also imagine us, you know, being a nil-nil for 88 minutes and us having a bunch of shots, but not really creating anything of real substance. And then Iran getting one on the counterattack to knock us out. So. I think the tone's going to be set here come against Wales. Yeah. I I mean, I'm always optimistic, but I, I can definitely see it's just like collapsing and, and crashing out um, and not getting like any really good results. But I also, my optimism and what I actually think is I think we can get a result against Wales and surprise people. I think England, it'll be tough, but I maybe pure like passion and, and 4th of July... I don't know, inflamed, raging Americans fighting for their freedom will be able to pull pull something off and uh, get it, at least a draw. I see like... Fourth of July in the middle of November. Best, but, hey, if this was in the summer, different story. I, I honestly hear you. This is like the only time where I'm going to be standing for the anthem and actually getting hype for the country. Any other time, not ripping the red, white, but and blue. But for England, I think best case scenario, like we, we can get a draw. I think that's a realistic option is, is us getting a draw. And this is definitely St. Louis biased, but Tim Ream, having Tim Ream and in a game where we're going to need to sit back a little more, bringing him into the lineup and having him start that game and our other Premier League experienced guys like Tyler Adams, the fact that he's been playing against this all Premier League side um, England team, like it, it's going to be beneficial and having those two guys specifically and our other uh, talent, like I, I just think we can actually get a result from that game um, riding on freedom, hopefully. And then Iran's a top uh, toss-up. Obviously, we, we think hopefully we can get the win there. But I, I am optimistic and I think we can get out of the group. I don't know how far we're going to go after that. But I do have some... I, I think out of all the European um, just teams, like England is our best bet. Um, not not counting Wales, but like the big European clubs like Italy and Germany and all that. Like England is who we'd want to draw because we have that little extra fire to prove something. You know what I mean? So that's where I stand with that. Do you have any lineup predictions? I think it's going to rotate heavily, especially from Wales to England. Because I don't, I I did mention Tim Ream, but I don't think Tim Ream will start against Wales. Do you guys? Do you have a lineup prediction against Wales or an ideal lineup? Uh I, I don't I don't really know yet honestly I, I feel like I'll probably have to keep thinking about it over the next few days, um, but I'm I'm interested to see I guess if Berhalter is wanting to play Reyna in the middle as opposed to being a winger on this uh, in this tournament because he can link up attacks so well given how you know he do, how well he does it for Dortmund at times but at the same time. Um, I, I I don't know what our midfield or attack is going to look like I'm I'm thinking maybe. If I if I were not if I were Berhalter, but if I were coach, I would probably have a midfield of uh, Musa, Adams, and either Reyna or Aronson. But Reyna and Aronson both have are, are starts for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm in the same boat. I, I also don't watch enough of the U.S. national team to to you know give a an accurate view on what their lineup should be. But I definitely do believe that um, if uh, Greg Berhalter wants to get the best out of Giorena. I think he should be more uh, in the middle of the pitch. And I think uh, him and Aronson should be fighting for that spot because I believe both can play a similar position. And um, I think both will be suited to, to competing for, for, for a starting position there. 
But one player that I do believe uh, should definitely be in the lineup is Tyler Adams. I know he has been killing it for uh, Leeds, and he's done a really good job of replacing Calvin Phillips for him. All I hear is you know really good things about him. Uh, whenever I see anything about Leeds or anything like that, they love him over there. Um, and you know, I, I do believe he, he's a, he's quite a dynamic midfielder, and I do think he'll do a good job in midfield. So if there were two players or or a player that I think that should definitely be in that lineup, it should be Adams. Yeah. Um. Cool. So again, USA versus Wales Monday the twenty first, two p.m. Central, two p.m. Eastern time. Sorry, one, 1 p.m. Central for us in St. Louis. Um, before we wrap up, we do have a bit of announcement, which went out on Twitter today. Um, and this is specifically like for our St. Louis listeners, or if you're not in St. Louis, but you're randomly coming to St. Louis on Wednesday. Um, our new MLS club is playing a friendly match against Bayer Leverkusen, uh, to open the new stadium city park and Manuel Veth from transfer marked in the gig impression podcast is coming to town and we will be, uh, doing like a, a live podcast Q and a, um, during the, the supporters group tailgate. Uh, it's the St. Luligans. They're having a tailgate party at Schlafly, which is literally like 50 feet from the stadium. Um, so they're going to be tailgating. We'll be inside Schlafly at four 30. So if you can make it definitely come out, um, we're going to be talking St. Louis, obviously, um, all the new signings we just got, we're going to be talking just Bundesliga in general. Um, Leverkusen will, I mean, I keep liking all these Leverkusen tweets because they're in St. Louis now. And I'm like, I'm, this is weird because I'm not in any way a fan of Leverkusen. It's just so exciting that like this is happening and more from a, a St. Louis fan perspective. But I mean, the Bundesliga connection. So we're going to talk Bundesliga. We'll talk all that. And it's just going to be a really cool, cool time and uh, just cool hanging with, with Manuel. And we will... We're going to be recording it, so it's going to be a podcast that's going to be out, whether it's on ours or Gig Impressin or or both. Uh, we're also doing a collaboration with another podcast that I work with, Flyover Footy here in St. Louis. So it's kind of a mixed bag panel almost. Uh, it's going to be really fun. So again, that's Wednesday, 4.30. Kickoff is at 7 o'clock. Carver, do you have anything to add to that? Excited for the show. Really excited for the game. I mean, I, I've only been outside of the stadium. I was offered a tour once for being uh, one of the, I'm not going to say academy, but like kids program that they uh, have for the St. Louis city team. I'm one of the coaches there and they offered me a tour less than 24 hours in advance. And I was like, I, I mean, I work tomorrow. Could I come another time? And they were like, no. And I was like, okay. So I've only ever seen the stadium from outside, but oh man, am I excited for this one? I cannot wait to be inside the stadium and finally see all the vendors. Um, looks like a lot of the vendors or all the vendors are very much, focused around the St. Louis community. So a lot of different great cuisines and everything and um, get to see just, you know, the field up close and, you know, watch some good soccer. So really excited. Um, so I think that wraps this episode, but Brian, thank you so much for uh, joining us again. It's been great. And I'm going to say it for real. Like we need to get you on probably sooner rather than later. Cause it, it's always great having you on. So we really appreciate you joining us. No, of course. Uh, always great talking, uh, Dortmund and soccer in general with you guys. Uh, glad you guys could have me and looking forward to the next time for sure. Yes. Thank you, Brian. Awesome. And then uh, real quick, of course, we'll have it all linked in the description of this episode, but do you want to give a, uh, let people know how they can find you online? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, best way to reach me or, or find my content is, um, to, uh, find me on Twitter. And my Twitter is, uh, Brian underscore Straub 94. Um, and, uh, like you guys said, you're going to link it. Cause I, I doubt, uh, yeah, 
it's easy. It's, it's something that's easy for people to think of how to spell. So yeah, just look at the post. You'll find all the information there. All right. Well, Hey, uh, anything you need, our, our Twitter, Instagram website, everything's in the description. Basically what you learned from this is go to the description of this episode and you can find literally everything you need. And then, so hopefully we'll see you on, on Wednesday in person. Uh, it's going to be super fun. And other than that, we'll talk with you next week. Cause we are going to be, uh, covering USMNT stuff. So we'll be back with the World Cup episode soon. So thank you guys. See you later. You guys can say bye too. (laughs) Bye. See ya.